New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. Hello, I'm Justine Willis-Toms. Today I'm hosting Dr. Rick Hansen. He's the author of Hardwiring Happiness, The New Brain Science of Contentment, Calm, and Confidence. Rick, thank you for being with us on the New Dimensions Cafe. It's a pleasure and an honor to be here with you, Justine. Thank you. It's my pleasure as well. You You really have studied for many years and experienced for many years through your psychoanalysis work or psycho, uh, psychotherapy work, how people can actually rewire their brains to take in the good is what you say, what, how you call it, taking in the good. So please tell us a little bit, unpack that a little bit for us. Sure. The short version is that, uh, the wholesome qualities in the heart, whether that's um, resilience or determination or moral commitments to other or gratitude or awe or transcendence or sense of meaning or, or everyday happiness, those wholesome qualities, let's call them inner strengths broadly, those wholesome qualities are built out of brain structure. So the question then becomes, how do we actually get those inner strengths into the brain? And that's where it gets really interesting. Because if you look at evolution, right, the nervous system has been evolving for 600 million years altogether. The brain of our ancestors had to get very, very good at learning from pain. In other words, learning from uh, feeling attacked in the wild or, or the threat of being attacked, any kind of bad event, the sticks, if you will, as a metaphor in the wild. The brain had to get very good at that, which has produced a kind of negativity bias. So the brain is continually looking for bad news. Second, when it finds it, it isolates down upon it. Third, the brain overreacts to the bad news. And then most important for my purposes, the brain whoop fast tracks that whole negative experience into neural storage. Once burned, twice shy, never forget. Meanwhile, all kinds of little positive experiences might be occurring, flowing through the mind, right? A moment of completing something, a moment of tasting something delicious, the relaxation and an exhalation. They're nice, but they're not leaving any lasting traces behind. They're not growing any inner strengths inside the brain. So what my work's been really focused on is how to help people tap the hidden power of everyday experiences, the mild moments in life of someone smiling at you or letting you in on the freeway or you get something done at work or you get included by a group of people or you experience some simple pleasure like the feeling of flannel against your cheek or your cat crawling up into your lap. Harvesting the value that's available to us in these moments by using the methods in my book I've been developing that are based on the neuropsychology of learning, including emotional learning, to really help these positive experiences sink in. That's what I call taking in the good. And to really have them sink in, you, you also describe that as not just activating them, but installing them. So how would we 
install such a something, let's say, somebody smiles at us, how would we install sure, great. that? So just to go back slightly, if we're interested in growing psychologically to heal our pain or to shift the way we are about certain things to deal with a challenge or to simply cultivate or grow more happiness inside ourselves, more compassion, more loving kindness, more virtue, whatever it is, that process of growth is a matter of learning, broadly defined. And the brain learns in a two-stage process that moves from activation to installation. We have to begin with some experience that we're trying to grow inside, and then we need to turn it into neural structure. That's the installation phase, okay? And so to do that, I summarize that in a little acronym, HEAL, H-E-A-L, that boils down to have it, enjoy it. Or with a little more detail, have that positive experience in the first place. Let a good fact become a good experience. Notice a good experience you're already having, or maybe appropriately create a good experience, such as thinking of something you feel grateful about at a meal, perhaps. And then once you're having that experience, it's activated. You want to help it install in your brain so it's not wasted by enriching it. That's the E for enrich and the HEAL acronym. And then also absorbing it by sensing and intending that it's going into you. And by the way, in terms of enriching, mostly that just means stay with it 10, 20 seconds in a row, right? S keep those neurons firing together so they can wire together in the circuits of your brain, building up that inner strength inside. And then if you want, if it's appropriate, you can be aware of both positive and negative in, a mi in the mind at once so that in the L step of the HEAL acronym, you link the positive material to negative material making the positive material more prominent in your mind so that it gradually associates with and goes into and soothes and eases and potentially even replaces that negative material over time. Rick, when I was going through your book, um, I was trying out some of the exercises that you have in there, and I couldn't think of any positive experience that, that really grabbed me. And then my, my eyes kind of wandered over to my altar, and I noticed a little rock on my altar. And I picked up that rock, which helped me being a kinesthetic learner, so to speak. And holding that rock, I remembered being at one of my most favorite places on the planet, with Michael. So we're standing in Yosemite Valley at a place called Happy Isles. And it's an, a little place that's, I think, the Merced River is flowing through. And it's flowing through over these little rocks. That's why they're kind of little islands of rocks. And it makes the most wonderful sound. It's just a merry, merry bubbling sound. And so I, that's where I went and it really and I stayed there and I could feel it in my body and and then I linked that to the worry I was feeling and is that like an example of what you're talking about sure two parts there um, the first part is that uh, I use a model that there are three fundamental ways to engage the mind in the first way we simply be with what's there we let it be we witness it we don't try to change it Second way to engage the mind, second way to practice fundamentally, is to reduce what's negative, 
The third way is to grow as positive, okay? Taking in the good is largely about uh, the third way to engage the mind, and I want to put it in the context of the others. So sometimes when you start with a worry, the thing to do is, first of all, just be with it for a while. Explore it, try to unpack it, sense down into what's more fundamental, younger, perhaps more vulnerable, softer in it, okay? Then in the second way to engage the mind, when it feels right, we move into letting go. We move into releasing, reducing the negative, maybe letting that worry flow out of the body, maybe realizing that some of the thoughts that drive the worry are just not so true, etc. And then in the third step, we go to um, really, really taking in the good, which is the primary focus of my own work, where we're growing what's positive. Okay. So in your example, you started with something negative, and it might have been that you tried to jump too fast to something positive to replace it. Maybe it would have been more organic to flow with it a little longer but then you did go to something positive which was great a little point that I would raise there though is that when you were dealing with something anxious that issue addressed as it were your need for safety one of our three great needs uh, which is managed by a system in the brain that helps us avoid harms all right when you jump to that moment at happy isles which is a wonderful time for you it was a very rewarding time, right? It was very aesthetic. You felt grateful for it. It was aesthetic. It was richly satisfying to you. That would meet your needs for satisfaction. They're second of our three great needs, safety, satisfaction, and the third one being connection. So the nice thing about that Happy Isles moment was that it's very gratitude-inducing and so forth. But I don't think of it as directly effective for antidoting a feeling of anxiety. So... The sheer fact that it was positive could be nice and helpful and distracting. Right. But in the future, if you really wanted to, but in the future, what you might look for when you start feeling anxious and you do go through those three different ways to engage your mind, and now it's time to bring in a positive experience. In other words, something to replace the negative thing that you've released. At that point, in terms of anxiety, which I think of as related to our safety needs, right, you might bring in one or more of these key resource experiences that tend to antidote anxiety, specifically relaxing in the body, like noticing as you exhale your relaxing a little bit. Second, uh, a sense of protection that also supports our need for safety. A third one that's a real good go-to is to recognize that in this moment, you're all right right now. You may not have been all right in the past. You may not be all right in the future. But in this moment, you're actually fundamentally all right right now. That's another way to build up a sense of safety. That was the one that Michael used all the time with me when I would get in that state. He'd say, all right, are you hungry right now? Are you cold right now? You know, and he would just bring me back to that. That's fantastic. Yeah, That's was, exactly yeah. right. And another one, obviously, to deal with anxiety is to tap into a sense of being strong. I mean, obviously, you've been through so many things in your life. You're a very strong person. And recognizing a sense of inner strength, including the capacity simply to endure, which I think is very important for people in general, and particularly for women who don't, who don't get enough credit, I think, for how strong they really are. Because a lot of the times they're forms of strength or expressions of strength are more about enduring difficult conditions. So in your book, you actually have a wonderful chart that goes through the three, uh, what you call great needs that we have, the uh, uh, safety. safety, satisfaction, and connection. And you show like the negative material. And then you, next to that, you have 
you help outline what a positive experience you might call up for yourself to antidote that. That's right. And if you um, have a longstanding issue in one area, as I did uh, feeling um, inadequate, uh, which I think of as a social system issue, a connection system, because it's a social uh, emotion to feel inferior or one down or ashamed, right, less than others. Um, so I, I looked for experiences there of being that are in the attaching system, if you will, or relate to our needs for connection. I looked for key resource experiences, antidote experiences. I think of them as vitamins, my vitamin mm -hmm. C, medicine for what ailed me. I looked for key experiences of being included or seen, or appreciated, or liked, or loved. And in some cases, all five of them together in one package, like my wife, for example. And um, a different kind of person who might have needs more in the satisfaction system around uh, approaching rewards. Maybe that person has felt frustrated or disappointed or thwarted like a failure or has had some losses. Um, that person could look for key antidote experiences like gratitude or gladness, or everyday pleasures, or everyday moments where there can be a sense of goal attainment or accomplishment. Any single time you do this is not going to be a million-dollar cure, right, a million-dollar moment. The reason I like this approach is that it's authentic. It's legitimate. Half a dozen times a day or more, you've got an opportunity to take in key experiences, especially if you know your vitamin C. You can really look for opportunities to have that experience in daily life. And then if you want, you can link the experience of that vitamin C with in the fourth step of the heal process of taking the good, you can link that positive experience, that's your key antidote, to that old pain. So that gradually you can have a sense of that antidote experience going into the old pain, easing it and eventually removing it altogether. So Rick, over time, you're actually changing the structure of your brain. That's exactly right. We don't have the kind of technology that can see some of these structural changes yet. I mean, the resolution, for example, of a functional MRI is about a cubic millimeter or even a little larger than that. And that is pretty small. A millimeter is pretty small if you think about it. But you can get tens of thousands, tens of millions of synapses, packed little connections between neurons packed into an area that that's small. That said, it's widely presumed and understood that if there's any kind of learning, whether it's the multiplication tables or more important things, like learning how to be a happier person or a more skillful parent or mate, um, any kind of learning must involve changes in the brain. So if people do the things that are well known to produce learning, activate those useful mental states, and then take the 10 seconds to really, really, really install them in your brain, you're going to be changing neural structure. And just one last thought. Um, if, let's say, a million people, <laughs> or a billion people even, uh, are practicing this and they're rewiring their brain, what will that do for our future? Well, as, as you know, you're getting something that's very near and dear to my heart. And to kind of put it in a larger frame, if we have these three core needs for safety, satisfaction, and connection that loosely relate to our ancient reptile, mammal, and primate ancestors, you know, the inner lizard, mouse, and monkey inside us all. And if we have a brain that when it feels like those needs are met, 
uh, has a general sense, produces a general sense in the mind of peace, contentment, and love. But we also have a brain that when it experiences those three needs are not met, takes us into a place of fear, frustration, and heartache, uh, the red zone, if you will. Then you could operationalize what the world needs now is to get a critical mass of human brains out of the reactive mode of the red zone where there's a felt sense of core needs not met and going and a tendency to go into fear frustration and heartache and instead help us come home to the fundamental resting state of the brain the place we go to when we experience that our core needs safety satisfaction and connection are fundamentally met in the moment and then from this place, from the responsive mode of the brain, we can engage challenges in life, but without going to war with other people, without being caught up in consumerism and greed that's heating up the planet as well as doing a lot of other bad things, and without feeling inside dismayed and discontented as a basis for going through life, but instead can have a fundamental sense of inner strength and inner peace. And so one way to operationalize what the world needs now if it's going to have any kind of a soft landing in the 21st century with the Stone Age brain, is to get some critical mass of human brains rested in the responsive mode, rested in the green zone, which I think we will achieve through repeatedly taking in the good, through repeatedly internalizing the felt sense of core needs met so that we're no longer so easily manipulated by the classic forces of greed and fear. And instead, uh, we can have people who can work together cooperatively, who can feel contented with what they have without constantly needing to drive for more, and who can feel um, entitled to getting their core needs met and, in a healthy sense, entitled to be appropriately assertive with others. And so that's my fond hope that we can get a billion brains on green, as it were. That's what I think the tipping point is, loosely. It's around a billion. But without that, we're so easily driven by the ancient powers of resisting what's unpleasant, you know, grasping after what's pleasant, and clinging to what's heartfelt, in a word, craving. That craving which leads to suffering and harm. Rick, I want to thank you so much for the work that you do. May, may it be a billion strong. And uh, thank you so much for being with us today on the New Dimensions Cafe. Thank you, Justine. It's an honor to be here. I've been speaking with Dr. Rick Hansen. He's the author of Hardwiring Happiness, the New Brain Science of Contentment, Calm, and Confidence. And if you'd like to know more about his work and his e-newsletter that goes out each week uh, called just one thing, uh, you can go to his website, rickhanson.net, rickhanson, H-A-N-S-O-N.net. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. Thank you for joining us on the New Dimensions Cafe, and I invite you to please join us again. You've been listening to the New Dimensions Cafe. This series of shorter interviews features many of the remarkable guests also featured on our internationally syndicated one-hour New Dimensions radio series. To access more than a thousand hours of programs, to subscribe to our newsletters, or to become a member, please visit us at newdimensions.org.
New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support.